Paul was simply writing to a group that he was the pastor of and was trying to make sure they got back on the right path. But someone began to stir up contention against Paul. And without belaboring the point tonight, obviously, it upset Paul. And Paul was hurt. And this is what he really was upset about and what he really was hurt about. Nobody in the church was standing up for him. They had taken all these things that were being said. They were taking all of these contentious accusations. And they were running with them. And nobody in the church had the pastor's back. And because of this, confusion was setting in. And questions were being raised and problems were on the wise. Because Corinth was out of order. Can I preach to you just a little while tonight? God is all about order. Everything in his kingdom must first be done decently. And if you'll look that word up, you'll find that it literally means in truth. Let everything be done decently, in truth with validity to it, and then in order. That means arrangement. That means rank. So everything in God's kingdom has an order. It has truth. It has arrangement or rank. And Paul wrote the letter to Corinth to correct them and instruct them. And that's 1 Corinthians. Not one time did it step out of truth. It was timely. It was needed, and it flowed, here's what's important, from the heart of God through the pen of the pastor. But somewhere between one and two, somebody didn't like what Paul said. Somebody stepped out first from decency, truth, and then secondly from order. They stepped out of rank. And they began to attack Paul. They began to run down the pastor. They began to chew on him and question him, and they got offended. I can't preach all this tonight, but when you get offended, you get dangerous. Offense is very dangerous, and offended people are very dangerous to be around. Hear me tonight. Be very careful when the talk turns on the pastor. I'm not a hired hitman tonight. He doesn't even know what I'm saying. I'm talking to you with prayer today and fasting and trying to seek after the mind of the Lord for tonight. You'd be better to run in the opposite direction when somebody starts chewing on the man of God than to be part of that conversation. I know this isn't popular preaching in 2023. I know this me and Jesus culture. 
believes they can do it all on their own. They don't need spiritual correction. They don't need spiritual guidance. Most of them don't even need the church. Just give me a worship playlist and a cool t-shirt and I'll go do my own thing and you church folk can go do your, yours. Come on now. But you hear this preacher tonight. It's still recorded in this word that by the foolishness of preaching, it's still written, how shall they hear without a preacher? And how shall he preach except he be sent? When you step out from under the order and authority of the man of God, you step out on your own and you are vulnerable to anything that the enemy wants to open up on you. This is what Paul was addressing. A church that was out of order and people that were riddled with problems. We're still talking about knowing our enemy tonight, right? But this was his answer. Just get back into alignment. Forgive the troublemaker and let God sort it all out. And if we'll do that, we can turn everything that the enemy meant for evil into good for our betterment and for our advancement. I can hear Paul preaching tonight. Come on, church. We know better than this. Come on, church. We are not ignorant to this. Forgive the hurt. Don't even think about it. Forget the words that have been said. Forget what's going around and just step back into alignment and we will stop the enemy dead in his tracks and get back to what God has called us to do. Otherwise, this will be his advantage to outwit us and outsmart us and we will be consumed. I got to move on tonight, but a lot of great content is right here. Uh, and, and I've got a lot of great content to cover tonight, but let me just say it like this. I told you lest is a conjunction, right? So here's the question. What is it connected to? Glad you asked. Verse 10, 2 Corinthians 2. To whom you forgive Anything, I forgive also. Paul is speaking directly about the troublemaker, about the one who is stirring up the problem. You forgive him, and I'll forgive him. He's chewing on me. He's eating me alive. He's trying to steal the order and the rank and the authority and the truth that I've delivered unto you. But if you forgive him, I'll forgive him lest Satan should get an advantage on us. Here it is in a nutshell. Unforgiveness is Satan's way in. It will absolutely, according to this scripture, 
give him an advantage over you. You know why he sows strife and contention and discord among the brethren and the church? Because it opens a door for him. If you're not careful, you'll find yourself walking through a door that will lead you away from decency and order. And this is the result. You won't trust the church. You won't trust the ministry. And eventually, you won't even trust God. That's why we must forgive. That's why we must be here every time the doors are open because we are being hunted by an adversary. Peter said, and we've referenced it many times in this series, he is as a roaring lion, walking about seeking whom he may devour. He is after you. When he was cursed in the Garden of Eden, one of his curses was that he would slither all the days on his belly and he would eat the dust thereof. What are you made out of? You were formed by God from the dust of the field. You are his appetite tonight. You're made of the thing that God said he would hunger for why he's after you, the way he's after you. So how do we combat that? Let me paraphrase verse 9. Resist him in faith. Gather up some of his other prey or his other intended victims to help you because you ain't alone in this fight. We're all sitting here together with the same adversary. If there was a lion in the parking lot tonight and you needed to get to your car, I ain't going out there by myself. Looking at some big, strong fellas right now. I'm gathering you up and I'm taking you with me. I ain't going by myself, right? That's the power of the church. I'm here. I link up with others who share like precious faith, and together we fight the enemy that's common to us all. That's why we can come in here on Sunday and they can sing the worship songs and the praise and the glory falls and you feel like you can run out and attack hell with a water gun. It's because you have linked up your spirit in worship with those that believe like you. It increases your faith and you believe, I can do this. We can win this thing. Got to move on, but we need the church tonight. So many take this so casually. They take this so casually. It's a take it or leave it proposition. I was taught from a very early age by that lady sitting over there. This is a non-negotiable in your life. 
If you say you love the Lord, then you're going to wait, want to make time to go see him at his house. Come on, what do we actually gather together here together? A couple of hours on Sunday, one hour on a midweek Bible study. You say the, you love the Lord and you can't even make it to his house for three hours out of your week? I'll go if I feel like it, preacher. I'll go if it fits my schedule. I'll go, but I hope that don't last too long. I'll go, but they better have that AC set right. I've been hot all day. Come on, somebody. What does the house of God really mean to you tonight? Come on. What does the Think about that question. What does the house of God really mean to you tonight? I'll tell you what it means to me. It means strength. It means refuge. It means I know I can go in when I've had a terrible day and find the presence of the Lord waiting on me. Moving, I'm moving, I'm moving. Why is it so important? It's important because we got an enemy tonight. John 12, 31, now this is the judgment of the world. Now shall the prince of this world be cast out, John 14, 30. Hereafter I will not talk much with you, for the prince of this world cometh and hath nothing in me. Both of these are red letter scriptures. Jesus was telling us, you have an enemy. And he's here on assignment. And he's here with purpose. He's got a plan and he's got an agenda. He's got a strategy. This is it. John 10, 10. The thief cometh not but. Y'all know what a but means, right? That conjunction means forget everything I just said. And just go with this. The enemy cometh not. Wrong but. For to steal and to kill and to destroy. Brothers and sisters, if the devil shows up, mm -hmm, you know it. If he shows up or if he is near, know this. He only comes to wreck. Your life. He's going to start as a thief. He's going to finish as a murderer. But murdering you isn't good enough for him. He's going to grind you up into an unrecognizable heap of left junk. That's why we can't afford to play around with this stuff. That's why we can't be casual in our walk with God. That's why we must guard ourselves with the word of God. That's why you must ground yourself with daily prayer. That's why you must encourage yourself through praise and worship. That's why you must ever once in a while deny yourself with fasting because your only hope against this adversary is to be insulated in the body of Christ. Alone, you're vulnerable. Alone, you are susceptible. 
alone. You are easy and isolated target. Not even the devil works alone. I know that. You think you don't need this? You think you don't need this? Uh, you think you can do this without the church? You think you don't need the strength of others that believe like you? Honey, you are dumber than the devil. Sorry, forgive me. Try to be nice. When he planned his little coup, when he set his insurrection in motion, he was smart enough not to do it alone. You think God just punished a third of the angels? No. They had already agreed with Lucifer. They had already bought into his plan. They had teamed up with him to overthrow the throne. But God thumped him out and everybody that was aligned with him. And you are very sadly mistaken and very, very wrong if you think you can do this by yourself. can't overcome an enemy like that by yourself. He doesn't even work alone. He ain't going in the parking lot to face somebody without gathering up his stronger guys. Let me teach you something today. There's one verse that describes the spirit of the devil. And, and this scripture, when I read it, it may sound surprising at first, but give me a moment, if you will, to make it make sense. God gave me this revelation in November of 2018. I've used it in counsel. I've used it in instruction. I've shared it in appropriate situations with certain individuals. But to my knowledge, I've never preached it from a pulpit or taught it from a pulpit. So you're blessed. You're the first hearers of this in a church setting. This defines the spirit of Satan or Lucifer. Proverbs 16, 8. Pride goeth before destruction and an haughty spirit before a fall. Now I'm going to address pride in just a moment, but allow me to use this so when I do, you'll get a better picture of what pride truly is. Because there is a difference between pride and a haughty spirit. Here's the difference. This is pride. This is how you define pride. You aren't really that good, strong, capable, etc. But you think you are. That's pride. You aren't really up to the test. But you think 
you are. Haughty is different. Here's how it's different. Haughty is you are that good or that strong or capable and you know it. That's haughty. One boast of something they absolutely are not. One, as my mama would say, is too big for their britches. Pride goeth before destruction, haughty before a fall. See, prideful people are destroyed because they were never able to fight the fight they engaged in in the first place. In their pride, they took on a battle they should have never attempted. But haughty people are brought down because they elevate themselves above what they are able to sustain. They bask in a glory that was never theirs to enjoy. And both of these are spirits of Lucifer. He was first haughty as the anointed cherub that covered. He had authority in heaven. Lucifer had a position. He had a throne. He even had legions of angels at his command. Yet it wasn't enough for him. He desired to be like the Most High. A haughty spirit that caused a fall. Listen to what Jesus said, Luke 10, 18. I beheld Satan as lightning fall from heaven. Yet, even in his fallen state, he retained his pride. Walk with me through this for a moment. Haughtiness. Believing he could do something because he had been anointed, but not to go that far. And he fell. I'll say it like this. I'll tag on to pastor's message sermon. He stopped going to church. He stopped worshiping God with the congregation. He wasn't destroyed yet, just fallen. He was following from afar. He was at a distance, but he retained his pride. Now he believes he can do something that he has no power to do, but he is blinded. Why? Because those that fell with him submitted to him. They agreed to do as he asked them to do. They uh, uh, submitted and got in alignment with him. What did we say earlier? Be careful who you listen to. Man, I, got, I need to be good right here because I could get in trouble with this. That haughty spirit will lead you down paths because you thought you were somebody. <laughs> and you'll be so far away from God, you won't even know it. And you'll walk in a level of pride, and you might have others even agreeing with what you're saying. Oh, Lord, have mercy. And their alignment with you might strengthen your pride. 
And that's where Satan was. And this spirit, I'm going to be good. This spirit is what drives him today. And that's why destruction awaits him. That's why when the time comes, listen, I know we got this epic battle thought out in our mind how this thing's going to close up. But let me tell you something. When that day comes, there ain't going to be no epic battle. There's not going to be some great struggle. There's not going to be some Rocky Balboa, forgive the movie reference tonight. There's not going to be some Rocky Balboa moment where he's knocked out and bloodied and all swollen up and gets that last-ditch effort on the devil and finally knocks him out. It ain't going down like that. When the time comes, one angel, you don't believe this? Read it when you get home. Revelation 20, 1 through 3. One angel at the command of God shall bind him and cast him away forever. There's not going to be Satan standing on one side and God on the other and you biting your fingernails to the elbow wondering who's going to win. God ain't even going to lift a finger. He's just going to send one of the angels that didn't listen to the fool that thought he could be greater than God and didn't go with him and didn't walk with him. He's going to send one of those guys and say, go lock him up and throw him away forever. I'm just about tired of what he's doing to my people. I'm just about tired of what he's doing to my children. And they're going to cast him away. Why? Because falling didn't teach him anything. That's why a righteous man is defined as simply one that got back up. Proverbs 20:16. For a just man falleth seven times and rises up again. But the wicked shall fall into mischief. There's a lot of preaching in that short verse. But here's the point. The fall is not the issue. It's what you do afterwards. And to be just, you got to get back up again. But here's what you got to leave with tonight. This is what you need to know about that scripture. How is getting up Define that phrase and riseth up again means to reestablish one's self. What does that mean? It means get up, it means dust yourself off, it means step out of the pity party, swallow your pride, and get right back to where you left off. Come on, church. It's, it's right back where you left. It's church. It's ministry. It's dedication. It's prayer. It's worship. Whatever you were doing when you found the trouble or when you stumbled, don't lose it in the fall. Just get back up and do it again. Preach again, preacher. Pray again, prayer warrior. Sing again, singer. Because when you get back to doing what God has called you to do. You are rising up, and God said, that's what makes you righteous.
Because the alternative is to be labeled wicked. What did that scripture just say? They fall into mischief. That's evil. That's self-rule. That's idolatry. It's everything righteousness is not. And here's the beauty of that wonderful scripture. Everybody falls. The just fall. The wicked fall. Everybody falls. But the label, thank God, isn't assigned in the fall. Aren't you thankful for his mercy that didn't count you out when you fail? That didn't say, put an X on them. I, I know people, they love to say, put an X on them. They ain't never coming back. Write them off. They went off in the ditch. You couldn't pull them out with 10,000 horses. No, you couldn't. But one move of God's spirit can draw them back and restore them to the place they were when the stumble came the first time. Because the label is attached after God sees your life and how you respond to the fall. That's why Peter, thinking of this scripture, I have to believe, this is conjecture on my point. I can't prove this, but that's what I, this is the scripture I think Peter was referencing when he said, Lord, shall I forgive seven times? I can't prove that. You just have to trust me today. Shall I forgive seven times? But Jesus full of mercy that's made new every morning. Said, no, Pete, you got it wrong. Seven times 70. Because as long as you're willing to get back up, he'll take you back in. That's why pride is of the devil. Because the fall didn't teach him. It did not lead him to repent. His pride blinded him, and it left God with only one option, and that was destruction. So here's how we apply it. If God changes not, same yesterday, today, and forever, if this was his answer to Satan, it's going to be his answer to us. It's no surprise then that Jesus came first demonstrating humility. How'd he do it? The incarnate came as a lowly baby, born in a stable, slept in a food trough. I know we love, wait a minute, that was a food trough. Unrecognizable to the religious and the political world. He began as he lived. He lived what he preached, and he preached what he was. And this is it. Humble, submitted, and fully given to a will above his own. See, this is it in a nutshell. This is the Bible in a nutshell. The Old Testament is a glimpse of a world touched by the visit of one from heaven's splendor However, this visitor came because of haughtiness, 
and he operated in a pride that would be his destruction. But the New Testament, a second visitor came in a different spirit. He didn't come declaring himself. He came declaring the Father. He was humble. He was obedient. His opinion of himself only existed in what his Father said about him. And he became our chief example of a very powerful scripture. 1 Peter 5, 6. Humble yourselves, therefore, under the mighty hand of God, that he may exalt you in due time. I'm not going to try to over-preach that scripture, but I've been taught as long as you do your job, God will do his. But if you try to do his, then he'll do yours. What does that mean? If you'll just stay humble, God will do the exalting. But you start pumping yourself up, and God will do the humbling. It was Jesus' humility. It was his submission that took him to Mount Transfiguration, where all the ones he had walked with saw him in his greatest hour of exaltation. He was headed back to take his rightful place at the right hand of the Father. It was his place of authority and intercession that was only available because he got it right. And now he stands as our example. Humble yourself. And it won't be the sky that's your limit, but heaven won't even contain all that God will do and allow for you. But get it wrong, you'll never find a bottom to which you can land. See, we forget that's a bottomless pit. Hell doesn't even have a bottom. People talk about I've hit rock bottom. Baby, there ain't no bottom. It's an eternal descent. He's so low, God didn't even create a bottom. He just said, throw him in there and why y'all teaching this? Brother Hodge, Pastor, why y'all teaching this? Because we want you to know your enemy. And we want to give you sound instruction on how to overcome him. Let me quickly give you an example. We know that David is considered a man after God's own heart. Didn't you love Brother Latone's message? <laughs> Sometimes me and God don't agree. <laughs> and we know, let me see, I see how much time I got. I don't have a clock up there. I got a minute. We, we, know, we know that David has some messes in his life, right? You know, he was an adulterer. He was a murderer. He lied. He devised plots to cover up his sins. Come on, somebody. It was bad when he had an affair with Bathsheba. That was bad. But it worsened when she became with child from the affair. And then it, it took on a whole new meaning when he couldn't get Uriah to cooperate with his cover-up plan. And then it escalated to horrid consequences when he sent him out on the front lines of the battlefield. And many of us, we remember this, and we think that this is the greatest sin that David committed, and it was bad. This is pretty bad. Four people died as a result of David's poor decisions one day standing on a rooftop when all the kings 
We're supposed to be out in battle. Another message for another day. If he'd have been where he was supposed to be, he wouldn't have been there in the temptation. But his worst sin was far more disastrous than four lives. His worst sin cost 70,000 lives. You can read that story in Chronicles, 1 Chronicles 21. I'm not going to try to attack it and dissect it tonight. I'll just kind of walk through it if you'll allow me. David had been mm, kicking rears and taking names. He had been moving through enemies like they were water. He was handling business for the Lord. He was getting it done. God had anointed him, and God was helping him get the job done. But there came a time of testing. That first scripture in Chronicles 21 said that Satan came. Satan came to test David's will. David really sold out to God? Or is there some of his selfish will in there? See, that's what he's after. He's after your will tonight. And the enemy wanted to know of King David, is his will completely surrendered? Or can I find a place to slither in through? See, the enemy's target is your will. He wants to control you. He wants to lead you around like a puppet. He wants to make you submit to your flesh and carnality and follow a wrong path. And in this passage, Satan didn't attack David's body nor his mind, but he went after his will. Can I make David, this is the enemy, can I make David abandon the plan of God, and get him acting in his own way. See, your enemies, your, or, your entire walk with God centers, and it revolves, and it depends on you being able to say these words. Not my will. Only then will you have complete submission when you can say that, when you can live that, when you can pray that, when you can truly, truly honor that. Only then can you have complete submission. And it's only complete submission that unlocks to you the power to resist the enemy. See, we love that resist the enemy, he'll flee from you. But it starts out with submit yourselves therefore unto God. There's a submission that takes place before the resistance. I promise you, if you're not submitted to God, don't run and pick no fight with the devil. I seen one manifest itself in a really little sixth grade girl this year that threw two or three deputy sheriffs around like they were nothing. I'm talking about big boys. Strong. Went in there to handle things. And they, I wish y'all could have seen it. She threw them around like nothing. That's that story I told y'all a little while back. They were screaming for the preacher because somebody had enough sense to recognize the devil is loose in here. 
She's not resisting him. They were resisting her. That's what they were doing. But it didn't work because they weren't submitted to something that had power to handle them. See, here's the deal. Many Christians, I got to hurry. Many Christians have intellectual beliefs. They're governed by their feelings. Come on now. As long as God is making sense, they feel they're with him. They ride Sunday worship highs. They serve God with their emotions. And that's why they are unstable. Because the moment God does something or asks of them something that doesn't make sense to them, they bottom out. They come crashing down. In a world of despair, they feel like God has forsaken them. They feel like God has left them. They feel like God did something to them that he said he would never do to anybody. Left them alone. That's why feelings are dangerous. They will lie to you. Remember Isaac? He's blessing Jacob who had stolen his brother's birthright who has presented himself as Esau to steal the needed blessing. He covered himself with goat hair. He went in to his father with the sole purpose to deceive him and trick him. Remember what Isaac said? You feel like Esau, but you sound like Jacob. Isaac would have been well served to base his discernment on the word he was hearing and not what he was feeling because there was a confusing sound. And if he would have done that, it would have prevented him from making a terrible mistake. But instead, he relied on his feelings, his primary indicator, and it effect, and in effect aided Jacob in this crime against his brother. It wasn't Isaac's will to bless the wrong son. It wasn't his will to create a tension that would last for many years to come. It wasn't his will to die and leave his family in chaos. But because he didn't truly discern the moment, his feelings led him astray. Conversely, Jacob's will was to win at any cost. He went against tradition. He went against protocol. He went against lineage. He went against his father. He went against his brother. Anything that got in the way of his will, he just moved it down. And it got him labeled as a deceiver. Here's it. His will became his character. His will became his identity. Your will tonight is Satan's target. Why? Because just like Jacob, he knows he can identify you by what he can get you to do. That's why salvation begins at a change first of will. You must submit your will to God's will. That's why Satan fights you so hard when you start making strides. He fell because he stepped out of his purpose, out of his calling, simply said, out of God's will. His will took him out of God's will, and this is what he desires to do to 
you and me and all of us. That's why this modern mantra, live your truth, is a lie from hell. There is only one truth. Jesus said, I am the truth. Anything outside of him is not truth. That's why Satan lures you with feelings of entitlement and the do it your way and the it don't take all of that. He's trying to play you and your will against God's will. Let me prove it. Your will sets your direction. It declares what you think. It indicates your heart. Perfect example, O Lucifer himself, Isaiah 14, 12 through 14. How art thou fallen from heaven, O Lucifer, son of the morning? How art thou cut down to the ground, which didst weaken the nations? For thou hast said in thine heart, I will ascend into heaven. I will exalt my throne above the stars of God. I will sit also upon the mount of the congregation. I will ascend above the heights. I will be like the most high. Five times in these short scriptures, he said, I will. His pride threw him out of God's will. And that's his weapon against us today. Our David felt really good about himself when Satan approached. He'd been doing some good stuff. He had some victories under his belt. And that pride made him feel like he could do something he was not permitted to do. His adultery was a sin of the flesh. It was bad. Yeah, we should remember it. It was bad. But that pride that made him number Israel, that was a sin of the spirit. Don't think there's a difference? The scripture disagrees. 2 Corinthians 7 1. I'm hurrying. Having therefore these promises, dearly beloved, let us cleanse ourselves from all filthiness of the flesh and spirit, perfecting holiness in the fear of God. Can I please help you with holiness tonight? It is a cleansing of both the flesh and spirit. All the hard-only folks couldn't be more wrong. That's not scripture. All the flesh-only folks couldn't be more wrong. That's not scripture. It takes a clean outside and it takes a clean inside. Here's where most miss it. It is perfected. That means executed or completed. It means finished or performed in the fear of God. You can't do one thing to this outside that will equate to holiness unless you do it in the fear of God. You can't do one thing on the inside that will equate to holiness unless you do it in the fear of God. 
If it's for the pastor, thank you for being obedient, but it ain't holiness. If it's to sing on the platform, thank you for being compliant to what you've been required, but it isn't perfected holiness. If it's to please another Pharisee, thank you for trying to please the self-righteous, but it isn't perfected holiness. If it's to do anything but in the fear of the Lord, it is not perfecting holiness. Whatever you take off or put on or stop doing or start doing, better have one goal, and that is pleasing him. Everything else is just a show. It might gain you friends, but it will not draw you closer to him. Because true holiness is only finalized in the fear of the Lord. Some boast so pridefully in their holiness. But their platter is disgusting. Some are so confident in their holiness, but their spirit is repulsive. You know why? Anything not done in the fear of the Lord is done of your own will and pride. Why was David judged so harshly for numbering Israel? Because he did it for his own glory. Pride made him step out of God's will and into his own. Why? Because the enemy simply wants you tonight to believe you can do whatever you please. And that's what's wrong with church today, the world today. We can't figure out anything. Listen to a TikTok as man was trying to nail a guy down and what he meant by something. He couldn't even define what he said. He was trying to identify. Couldn't even make a definition. He wants to take you out of God's will and make you walk solely in him. This is it. And I'm getting ready to finish up. I got two minutes. God desires a people that will trust him, that will serve him, and pray like Jesus prayed. Not my will, there will be moments where you will come to a Gethsemane of your own. You will come to a place where you've got to pray, not my will, but thine be done. The devil will convince you and try to make you believe you can do it on your own. But the truth is, he is the Lord of your life when you're doing it on your own. Be careful when you feel you've arrived. I've been in this thing for 500 years, preacher. I laid the first brick of the building. That's good. Thank you for being faithful. Glad you're here. Thank you for your sacrifice. But be careful if you think you've arrived because you might show up at the wrong destination. There is a way that seemeth right to a man, but the end thereof is destruction. So how do we make it then? We submit our lives to God. We humble ourselves. We search out our own salvation with fear and trembling. Here's the principle. Philippians 2, 12, 13. Wherefore, my beloved, as you have always obeyed, not as in my presence only, not just when the preacher around, but now much more in my absence, even when the preacher's gone, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. For it is God which worketh in you. See, most forget 13, but 13's the key to it all. For it is God which worketh in you both to will and to do of his good pleasure. 
See, when you do right, when you get the right spirit and attitude, you can't get it wrong. If you can, the, the Bible's a lie. Because verse 13 said, if you work it out with fear and trembling, when you ain't just trying to do it for the preacher, when you do it when he's there and even when he's not there, when you live right, when you're on vacation, when ain't nobody looking, when ain't nobody knows what you slipped around and done did and done said and done whatever. But if you do it with fear and trembling, verse 13 says, it's God that's actually working that out in you. You thought you were working it out. You thought you were settling this. No, 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 no. I end with this tonight. I'm one minute over time. Don't charge extra. Romans 12, 12. I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that ye present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable service. I love this. I'm about to say to you. This is how you know you've truly settled the will of God in your life. It's very simple. You know the will of God is settled in your life when what you do for him, you no longer call sacrifice. You call it reasonable service. When it's still sacrifice to you, you might need to keep on working that thing out with fear and trembling. But when you do the things you do, and don't think of them as sacrifice, just reasonable service. You've conformed your will to the will of him. Stand.